Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up to date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. Welcome to the run through with Vogue. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal, and it's our first episode of 2023. In the spirit of New Year's resolutions, we are speaking with the one and only Haley Bieber about health and wellness, beauty, and of course, fashion. And we'll also be talking with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand about what's on the docket for 2023 in the Capitol and how she envisions a better future for the fashion industry and its workers. But first, we want to talk about our headlines this week. Choma, I want to hear your headline of your vacation. You went (laughs) home to London. I went home to London, which was really nice and really rainy, but very nice. How about you? Where were you? I was in California where, blessedly, it was warm and sunny, and my toddler got to run into the ocean. It was crazy. You Um, looked sun-kissed. It was delightful. Thank you very much. (laughs) So that was very nice. But it was riddled with push alerts from the New York Times about various legends who were passing away. First, it was Pele, then Vivian Westwood, then Barbara Walters, then the Pope. Sorry, not the Pope. The Pope Emeritus. Right, right, right. (laughs) It is such a strange thing to me that, you know, a few high-profile people always pass around the holidays, you know? There's the rule of threes, which is that celebrities always die in threes. I mean, there's a shocking number of examples of when that's happened. And (laughs) after uh, Barbara Walters died, I was like, oof. And then the Pope ruined the rule and (laughs) made it a rule of fours. But that's okay. One thing that I kept thinking of with all these people was my son keeps being gifted these books, like Little People, Big Dreams, which are like children's books about legends in their fields. And it was kind of crazy that all four of these people have their own books from this series. My husband is a huge soccer fan. So Mm. does your husband agree that he was the greatest footballer of all time? Or or, or are we kind of bumping up against Messi with this? I think we're bumping up against Messi at this point. Mm. But... Paley definitely had more swagger than most people. I feel like he was one of the first real celebrity athletes um, who really went off the field. But anyway, RIP to Pele. Mm. And then Barbara Walters, who I can't believe she was 93. It's just Me either. unbelievable. When did she start working is my question. Yeah, Barbara Walters got her first job at NBC in 1953. So I mean, How long did she... Long time like, ago. When was her last... Big interview. Well, she retired in 2015, I believe. Right, right. And all of these amazing women, sort of her colleagues and peers, came to her last uh, taping of The View. So Mm. she had a big send-off. Right. But, I mean, I have to say, reading all the obits of her, I always think of her as being a pioneer for women in journalism. Mm. But reading the stories, it is just remarkable that she says that the first job, she was hired for her legs, and then her boss was always trying to hit on her, so she had to leave. And then at NBC, she was called a Today Girl and was only went on air when she was, uh, you know, covering Paris Fashion Week or dressed up as a Playboy bunny. And then when she finally was co-host of the Today Show, 
she was specifically told you cannot ask a subject any questions until the male co-hosts have asked three first. That is unbelievable. And then Vivian Westwood. I know, I know. Such Did a sad day in fashion. Did that ruin your vacation? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, often we hear about designers who are perhaps not doing well when we sort of begin to prepare, we begin to look through So them. you had no obit prepared for her? No, not not really. I mean, she was obviously older. She died at 81. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a spring chicken at this point. Right. I mean, there was no there was no cause of, of death given. She's okay. having a private um, Still memorial. no cause of death given? Interesting. No, I okay. think it's all been quite a private. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, we heard the news. I was in London. It was late. And then, you know, my Instagram fleet was flooded. Yeah with tributes and you saw the next day that people were laying flowers at World's End with these really beautiful tributes. What is World's her. End? It's where um, they the first Vivian Westwood store was that she opened. Is it with. a street? World's End, it's a place it's a place. It's in Chelsea. Okay. Yeah, her and Malcolm McLaren sort of launched mm-hmm. their whole the whole business there. She was obviously known as the queen or the godmother of of punk, but I think you know, it's interesting going through all of the obits and reading all of the tributes. You you just kind of forget that she was first and foremost, at least in later on in life, a, an environmental activist. You know, that was that yeah. Became she really her predated she was, that being. Yeah, I mean, she was about you know, clothes had meaning. Plo- clothes had you know, her work had so much substance and politics. There was always this sort of underlying political charge in her work. I mean, that's obviously where her instinct for punk came from. And she continued that with her work around sustainability. And yeah, I think she she was kind of one of the first designers to really raise the alarm around yeah. just how dire the situation is, specifically in fashion. I think she'd want to be remembered that way, you know, as, as someone who really sort of walked the walk. Obviously had incredible style and was incredibly beautiful when you look at all of the different yeah throughout and the, such a shapeshifter I mean seeing all Shit, the different completely. pictures she really yeah she went from like snaggletooth punk to yeah. Soigne Dior-esque suit yeah I mean that yeah. Dior-esque suit that she wore to pick up her OBE you know is definitely one of my favorite fashion moments because obviously she she twirled who made that suit did she I think she made the suit. She twirled and didn't have any underwear on. There was always, ah! yeah. So she flashed the paparazzi. We don't know whether it was intentional, but. Oh, I, we know. We know it was intentional with her. She was always subversive. There was always something more to her. There was always like a rebel streak. I don't think fashion will ever be the same again, you know. And and I think there are so few kind of iconoclastic women like her. Looking back at some of her collections, you know, I loved some of the you know, the, the collections that were inspired by the, the old master paintings. I have some of those T-shirts and those videos of um, all of the supermodels kind of in in those Mary Antoinette style dresses yeah. with the powdered faces. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. Just divine. You know, like those dresses are just so great. And she ended up actually having a really big bridal business. I remember thinking, looking at one of her I have collections. a lot of friends who've gotten married in her dresses. Yeah. I think they're we great. We have a story. Uh, that British Vogue's working on a story about it. Yeah, mm. all these women that got married in Vivian Westwood. I mean, she knew how to make that dramatic kind of ultra-feminine silhouette. And Well, also for someone who's not a waif. I mean, she yeah, really... She understood. She, she understood, understood women's bodies. Yeah, you're right. <sighs> Such a loss. Anti-Ozempic dresses. Yeah. The Nozempic dress. The Nozempic dress. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Number four, poor Pope Benedict the 16th. 
I just felt bad because the poor Vatican spokesman had to work so hard in every sentence he said about this to be like, Pope Emeritus, Pope Emeritus. So people didn't confuse it with the current pope because he's the first pope in 600 years to retire and not die on the job. Oh, wow. So now they I was a bit confused, to be it honest. It was confusing. The push alert was like, Pope dies. I was like, okay. And it wasn't the pope. So now they have to figure out how to do the funeral because— the Pope's going to be presiding over the Pope's funeral. It's sort of like uh, Huck Finn when he, like, looks at his own funeral from the rafters. Um, that's this week. Okay. And— Next week, Golden Globes. That's true. Next week, Golden Globes. <laughs> and on two things on Tuesday, big deal. The Golden Globes and—, and Harry's memoir. Oh, yes. Because ooh, we ooh, can't get enough. There's a CBS interview. There's a CBS interview know, on Sunday. I know, on 60 Minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That'll be interesting. And apparently, like, every UK tabloid on Tuesday when that clip was released, every headline was, Harry wants dad and brother back. There was, like, nothing about the UK economy, <laughs> nothing about— like, I have to say, being in the UK made, made me realize just how, how kind of despised Mary, Meghan Markle is. Like, it was actually— a little much. British people are not pleased about all this. Is no, that fair? They're not. They're not pleased. But I think that there's a lot of toxic masculinity going on. I mean, we know what Piers do people Morgan you hates her. know in the UK. Like, what do your parents think about? Did they watch the Netflix? Do they care? Are they pro Harry? Are they pro Meghan? I mean, all I can say is that you know my dad just thinks hates King Charles. Interesting. He, he he cannot stop talking about Diana, even though it was Aww. like, I know, he just like blessed that woman. Aww. He loved the queen, but he hates the king. So mm. I'm not sure where the monarchy's headed at this point. All right. Well, we'll we should just check in with your father every few months. <laughs> see, <laughs> to check the temperature and see what's happening. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think, yeah, I think people will be less interested in, or there'll be less kind of furor around what, Harry has to say, but the vitriol is always, always directed at Megan, but we'll see. Yeah. After the break, we're speaking with Hayley Bieber. Hi, everyone. It's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you. Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com slash membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? Hey, Run Through listeners. Are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, handpicked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. Choma, we learned a lot from Haley, didn't we? For one thing, I'm going to start using oil of oregano during cold and flu season. I know. I, and I'm <laughs> never going to bed with makeup on again. 
Haley told us all about her beauty routine. She's very disciplined, and that's what inspired her blockbuster skincare line, Road, so that us plebeians can attempt to get her glazed donut skin, though, frankly... The beauty of podcasting is that you can eat a glazed donut instead of looking like one. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yes, I mean, and she was also very upfront with us about all the details of her mini stroke she had last year, which was crazy to hear about. Yeah, I was surprised how open she was. It was refreshing. And we'll let you guys hear for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Hi, Haley. You're in Palm Springs. Hi. Yes, I'm in Palm Springs. It's... 1 p.m. West Coast time. So what is like a typical morning look like out there for you? Um, well, usually it's just get up and have a yummy breakfast and coffee. And every day is a little bit different, but usually it's just super relaxed, super chill. I love Palm Springs. I think the desert is super, super beautiful. The scenery out here is super, super beautiful. Hell on the skin, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's a little hell on the skin Your sometimes. Skin yeah, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Thank you. It is really dry out here, but we love a humidifier. So I always have a, a question. I I feel that a lot of people who start skin care brands start because you know there was a specific, maybe they had an issue with their skin or there was a, something missing that they saw. Why does mm-hmm. skin become your thing? Um, I think that for me, I've just always been very invested in skincare and invested in my skin. You know, I really learned a lot from my mom and my grandma. You know, when I was a kid, I can remember like getting out of the shower, out of the bath. And then my mom was like, you're not leaving this bathroom until I slather you like head to toe and hydration and creams and stuff. And my mom and my grandma are from Brazil. And my Nana was just always like very obsessive about her creams, her creams, her creams. Like she's always been obsessed with skincare and creams. And I think that kind of just got very like introduced to me at such a young age. And it started so becoming part of my routine as a young person. Do they use Road now? They do use Road now and they love Road. Were there any do's and don'ts that you learned from your mother or your grandmother? Were there any things that they strictly did like always wash off your makeup or were there sort of small things that you picked up from them that you stick to this day? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the no sleeping with makeup thing is a big thing. I've literally never slept with makeup on ever because I feel like that's (laughs) like the cardinal (laughs) sin. Like no matter what the circumstances, I'm like, I will find warm water and a washcloth to get this makeup (laughs) off one way or another. It's coming off. Discipline. (laughs) I think honestly, the word you just use discipline is the biggest thing I learned from my mom and my grandma, just about like the discipline of staying on a routine. But I also think that I want straight to the point, convenient skincare. And that was kind of what really sparked my philosophy with road was just, you don't have to have a lot of steps. You don't have to have really expensive, elaborate skincare for it to be a great skincare routine. What else is sort of the Haley wellness routine? Like what are you doing fitness wise? Are you doing, are there other elements that make sure that you're in your best body? I was reading or listening to some podcasts where you're talking about how you like did an allergy panel and food based on blood type. It seems like you're very aware of the skin you're in, no pun intended. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that I get sick very easily. Like if I'm not rested, if I'm not getting sleep, I'm just like, I crumble. It's like, I get just sick like that. So I stay on top of trying to take vitamins. And again, I don't like to overdo it. I like to just take like simple 
immunity, like straight to the point things, especially when I'm traveling. Um, What's your like immunity uh, vitamin of choice? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that I stick to like consistently is oil of oregano and lysine. Okay. Mm. And then other than that, you know, I do think that being able to stay on a consistent like exercise routine is a lot of the time it's less about even just my body. It's more about my mind. I find that my anxiety feels lower when I'm moving my body. And the things that I really like to do for that are like, I love Pilates. I've spoken a Mm. lot about Pilates. I used to be a ballet dancer. I feel like that the movement within Pilates and ballets, you know, kind of really goes hand in hand. I was really impressed reading about like how thoughtful you are about your mental health and taking care of that anxiety and that you really think about your social media presence. You turned your comments off. You're off Twitter. Like, how do you regiment how to take care of yourself? I think that I'm constantly trying to gauge it and see how I feel. I think sometimes if you go looking for stuff, like you're going to see stuff that um, is upsetting. It's like when you look at comments and it's like you focus in on the one bad comment. I think that the biggest pattern that I see with myself is that the more that I choose to disconnect from it and kind of stay as focused in the real world as possible, then my anxiety is lower. I feel much happier. I feel more Mm. rested. I feel just better overall. That's why I kind of think that doing like breaks is good too. Like it's just completely like unplugging. Do you delete it from your phone? Yeah, I do sometimes. I'm always impressed by people who do that. (laughs) Yeah, it's not, I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, I delete it for weeks at a time. It's like, so not the case. But um, (laughs) I mean, it's kind of the case with TikTok. It's it's something I don't really like just go on myself anymore. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your YouTube channel. And I think that you're a real natural on camera when it comes to being more candid and more completely yourself and talking about difficult topics. You had a mini stroke and it's just something you never think you're clearly so healthy, so young. And it was, uh, Mm -hmm. I think, very important for people to hear how that can happen. You know, it was something that was completely unexpected. You know, when you're 25 and you're young and you believe you're really healthy and you, you know, do things to maintain your health. And all the doctors kept saying it was just kind of a perfect storm. It was a couple different factors that led to you having a small blood clot and the blood clot traveled through the hole in my heart up to the brain, which is why I had, you know, the, what they call a mini stroke. And it was definitely the scariest thing I've ever gone through. I mean, it sounded to feel, yeah, it was definitely really, really scary. And it's, it's interesting because when I had it, I was actually in Palm Springs at the same place that I'm at right now. And like, mm. even the first cu- couple times coming back here after was like a little bit of a strange triggering kind of feeling for me, because it's like, you just remember exactly how everything happened in that moment. Mm-hmm. But I think the bright side for me was that it led me to find out that I had this hole in my heart. And it's something that I was able to have a procedure done to close it. So they put a device in my heart that's now Mm -hmm. in there forever. It's a permanent permanent, uh, closure device. And basically that's it. You know, I have it in my heart forever. And yeah. And you feel the good. Scar tissue. I feel good. Yeah. The, the hole is, is closed now. Um, you know, it took a couple months, uh, for it to heal all the way. And, you know, it's because the, the scar tissue has to grow back around the device in order for it to fully close that hole. Mm. Um, so it's just, honestly, it's been a really interesting learning process and it was very difficult. I struggled with a lot of 
anxiety after I struggled with a little bit of PTSD of just like the fear of maybe it was going to happen again. And it was just a feeling that I was like, I never want to, I never want to experience that ever again. I mean, it was so terrifying, so jarring, so discombobulating in every single way that you can imagine. Um, but yeah, I, I feel I'm now, you know, seven months past the procedure, eight months right. past having the TIA. And I feel like with time, it gets better and it's gotten a lot better um, as time has gone on and as I've healed. And now knowing that the hole is closed, um, you know, it feels it feels more complete for me. But it's something that I'm, I'm definitely very open to talking about if it could help anybody else. Yeah. Um, then I'm, I'm always that. It was really hard for me to talk about it for a little while. Like even the video that I had made for my YouTube channel, it's hard for me to talk about that stuff. It brings back mm. the feelings for me um, of going through that experience. So, you know, it's a little bit easier. It gets easier and easier with time um, to be able to talk about it. And, you know, I'm just really grateful that I was able to, you know, have amazing doctors and nurses and people that helped me heal and helped me get to the bottom of what actually happened. Because I think when something scary like that happens and then there's no explanation, it's so much worse because then you're like, well, why? And will this happen again? And what's the reason? And what was the cause? Yeah, and we were able to get to the bottom of it. And then there was a solution, which I think is that that was the thing that made me feel so much better and so grateful that I was like, all right, we know what it is it's fixable. Yeah. We can prevent this from ever happening again. And now we're at that point where, um, you know, I, I don't have to feel worried about going through that again. So. Do you find, I find that when things like this happen, sometimes you, it's a moment, obviously to say you, you find the brights and then it's also like a moment to sort of reevaluate how am I listening to my body? Right. How am I, mm -hmm. was there a moment of reset, you know, when you're traveling so much? Sounds like you're very on top of your body yeah. anyway. Yeah. To experience something that I had zero control over happening in my body was very scary and very jarring. I also didn't want it to turn me into the type of person that was going to be afraid all the time of like something bad happening because yeah. I struggle with that anxiety just in general already. Like I'm just, I struggle with anxiety period about several different things in life. I'm just now starting to come out of that kind of fight or flight feeling of being nervous about something bad happening again or having another mini stroke or yeah. the hole in my heart not being closed. I mean, there's so many thoughts that are like going through your head so much. The biggest reset for me was like having to really digest and know that, yes, this is something that happened to me. Yes, it was very scary. Yes, it was like a freak situation, but you're okay now. And we did get to the bottom of it. And you do have a healthy body. You are a healthy 26 year old woman. Like yeah. at this point, after that happened, I'm like, I have spent so much of my brain time thinking about this situation that I'm at the point where I'm like, I'd like to be able to continue to release it and just like live my life and enjoy it because yeah. I felt so edgy about it for, for the last like almost a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's tempting to kind of feel that your body's letting you down. Like, you know, in those moments when you feel like I've done all this work, but my body's letting me down, whereas you sort of have to see it the other way. It's like, wow, I'm so lucky to be able to move forward and kind bounce of back. bounce yeah. back, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I look back at it and it could have been 
so much worse. So many, so many worse things could have happened in that moment. And, you know, I'm just grateful that I'm okay. And that is like where I kind of have to stay mentally. Haley, what are you wearing? What's your favorite thing that you're wearing right now? Not at this moment, but, you know, in life. Well, right now, as the weather is starting to change a little bit, I mean, it's not as chilly as New York, but LA does uh, have its like small season of getting cooler and like a nice small little fall situation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I really do love finding great vintage pieces, vintage leather jackets. Like I kind of have been like scouring Depop for like just cool (laughs) kind of upcycled leather jackets. And I I joke with people all the time because it'll be like 90 degrees outside and I'll have a huge leather jacket with me. And they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you're not... You're not going to take me out of my leather jacket world. Yeah, I think you, you, the general consensus in our office that you are the queen of of oversized outerwear. We literally have a story today with you as the inspiration. And I think you're a real New York girl when it comes to your outerwear, right? Because I think that's not an L.A. thing. Um, But I think you show them how it's done. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Well, I definitely feel like being from New York, my style is inspired by that a lot of the time. I dress even a little bit differently when I go back to New York. I'm just like, I'm back, baby. This is my New York style. (laughs) Especially in the winter in New York. Like I can really go for it with like layers and like a big coat with a big chunky scarf where it's like, it may be like one step too far in LA. And that's something I love and I miss about New York is just like that seasonal change for even the clothes that you wear is so great and so fun. For the record, everyone, Haley is wearing a New York sweatshirt, so she's definitely repping. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You've tried your hand at designing and your husband also designs. Like, Is fashion a conversation that you guys style have? Because I think you have really great couple style. I know it's kind of Thank like you. a kind of a, a funny... I think it's a funny balance to strike because you don't want to be twinning, right? But you're, no. you complement each other. Like, what is the conversation around style with you and your husband? I think what's nice is when you're with somebody and you have a partner that, that you both like a certain thing, obviously. I mean, for us, I like to wear a lot of men's clothes and big oversized stuff. So what, ha- what ends up happening is like, we're able to share a lot of stuff, which I oh, think is cute. so fun and so nice. When I was designing the wardrobe NYC stuff, the thing at the forefront of my mind was like, how can you both wear this? How can you go into your girlfriend or boyfriend or person's closet and like steal this from them and it work on so many different body shapes and heights? And I really wanted it to feel like it could be worn literally by anybody. And the first time that I got final samples of like the sweats and stuff, and I asked Justin to put them on so I could see how they fit on him. I was like so happy because the way that they sat on him and the way that they sat on me was like exactly what I was envisioning. I ask his input a lot on, on different things in my personal style. And I'm like, what do you think about this? And just being able to connect. You guys ever disagree? Yeah, for sure. And I think when we disagree, it's just like, okay, like if, if he doesn't like something, that's his taste. And if I don't like something, that's my taste. It does seem like you're ha- like, I love the playfulness of it. It seems like you're having so much fun, especially with off duty. Mm-hmm. But we need to talk about red carpet stuff. How do you feel? Because I feel that that seems like it's a Haley alter ego. I mean, you look so glam in your Saint Laurent. Like, what is the fun of getting dressed up? And where do you feel like you're most you? Do you feel more, more of, an, of, sort of an off duty girl or do you love the red carpet? What's the difference? Like, what's the fun there? It's the yin yang. 
Yeah, I think I like the opposite ends of the spectrum. I think because red carpet is so glamorous and like beautiful and the Saint Laurent pieces that I wear are so amazing and so beautiful. You know, in my day-to-day style, I'm very much just me all the time and I want to be comfortable and I want to wear things that feel like an expression of myself and I want to be like kind of a little bit toned down and like not really wear any makeup and kind of just feel very like fresh and comfortable. And I think as I've gotten older and my style has evolved, I've learned what I like to wear on red carpets, what shapes, what different things work for me more than other things have in the past. And I've also learned even with my hair and makeup that less is more for me. And I find that I I like the way it photographs better. And I hope for me that it's like I continue to evolve in my red carpet style. And I think that it's in a much different place than it used to be. What would be the one item of clothing you would take to a desert island? Am I going to sound really crazy if I say a leather jacket? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. Because, because, because if we're going to a desert island, right, it's like it can kind of like take the wear and tear, right? Hilarious. It's going to protect me. (laughs) Yeah. Could double as a tent if it's big enough. Exactly. It was so lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Haley. Thank you guys so much for having me. I was really excited about doing this and I'm glad. All right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good talking <laughs> to you guys. Bye. You too. After the break, we'll be hearing from Senna Kirsten Gillibrand, who will be talking to us about everything, basically, including her son's sneakers and her groundbreaking um, fabric act. Choma, Vogue loves a female politician in a power suit. I mean, I sure do. I cannot count the number of Annie Leibovitz portraits on the steps of a Washington monument or political (laughs) building with a woman leader striding powerfully through the wind. And uh, New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand is no exception. Yeah. I mean, you got to love it. I do. (laughs) Last spring, the senator showed up to the Vogue offices and she talked to us about a new bill she's introduced called the Fabric Act. You'll hear more about it from her, but the main idea is to address exploitation of the largely female workforce, which makes the majority of our clothing in the U.S. Right. It's workplace protections for the garment industry, which are sorely needed. And we actually chatted with the senator twice, once uh, right before the holiday break to check in with her about the results of the midterm elections and hear about what she's excited to tackle on the Senate floor in 2023. And also earlier in the fall when she had just uh, sent both of her sons to school after doing some back to school shopping. Hello. How are you guys? Good, good. Thank you so much for coming on to chat with us, uh, Senator Gillibrand. We're so excited to hear about this. Where are you right now? I'm in the Capitol. I have votes this afternoon, so I'm in Washington, D.C. voting. Fantastic. Have you been shopping recently? Have you, I mean, I'm just, (laughs) we were chatting about like how this act has maybe affected your personal habits. Like, do you go back to school shopping with your sons? Yes, they do a great deal of shopping. And I have, uh, I just dropped my son, uh, my oldest son off in California because he's going to college in Northern California and he's very excited. Um, and I had to buy him lots of new stuff for school. So that was very fun. You know, Theo, uh, the, the 18 year olds wearing recycled sneakers that um, is a, a brand Allbirds where they 
talk about their um, uh, sustainability and how they um, reuse them. And so Theo just, uh, he literally made me clean those sneakers like three times since he's been home. So they are fresh and white and didn't have to buy a new pair. But like, that's what this generation of 18 year olds cares about. But my younger boy, he likes recycled clothing. He really likes thrifting and he likes to buy previously worn awesome t-shirts and sweatshirts. And <laughs> yeah, we love that he likes vintage. This is very sustainable. He loves we vintage. love this. But most women designers are not made in the United States and it's hard. And most lower cost clothing, unfortunately, is made still abroad in places like China and Mexico. And so I think this is a very timely topic because women who want to spend their money in a more sustainable way need guideposts about how to do that. Yeah, I mean, I remember when when you were here last, you sort of gave me the sort of guide to the fabric app for idiots. And I'd love for you to sort of give us, (laughs) break it down in a really simplified form. So it's a pot of money that is designed to help manufacturers manufacture in a more sustainable way green types of manufacturing, whether they're going to put manufacturing back in America. It creates a new office within the Department of Labor just for the garment industry. It's exciting. Very much focused on the workers themselves that are underpaid, oftentimes for piecemeal work. And just for listeners who don't know what it's like right now to be a garment worker, first of all, it's an 80% female industry. Many of the women are migrant women, so they maybe don't have the voice or the resources to speak out about this. They're being paid an under a minimum wage for a lot of their piece rate. Is that all correct? What does it look like right now? Why is this needed? When we started writing this bill, we had heard of stories of shops that will pay a certain rate per piece of clothing at the start of the day, but can cut that rate when the workers come back from lunch to keep costs down. Mm. We've also heard stories of shops that will underpay or refuse to pay their workers. They'll shut down, then reopen a shop across town under a different name to basically dodge the wage and hour enforcement rules. And so what the Fabric Act does is create a level of transparency through this national registry that will be held under the Department of Labor. It'll be a national registry of all garment manufacturers to create transparency and accountability. And so that brands and civil society groups can identify and root out the bad actors with a history of labor violations. Women lead this industry from the factory floor to the runway it's women. And so they disproportionately feel the impact when the labor standards aren't fair or when the work environment is unsafe. So if we make these changes, it will empower women leaders who run the industry and it will empower women workers who are the heartbeat of this industry. I'm sort of curious to know what your conversations have been like with other people in the fashion industry. I know obviously that this is a conversation you've been having with Vogue. So When I talk to industry leaders, they are very invested in how to reform the industry in a way that makes it more sustainable. A lot of industry leaders care deeply about global climate change and want to know what can they do to address it directly through clean air, through clean water, through better practices. They want to know how do we make America an industry leader and how do we compete with a place like China? In 1995, China employed 1.75 million people in the garment and other fiber products manufacturing, and the U.S. employed 791,000. By 2020, China employs 
3 million people in the manufacturing of textile, wearing apparel and accessories, whereas the U.S. only employs 90,000. You know, I sit on the intelligence committee. I sit on the armed services committee. And we need to understand that we need a supply chain that is not dependent on China, on a country that may well decide to be adversarial against the United States someday and create better policies so that America can lead not just in fashion, but in domestic manufacturing and sustainable policies. Our listeners are probably wondering, I love fashion. I love to shop. This is why I'm listening to a Vogue podcast. But I'm also concerned about this. How do we as consumers help promote the fair and equitable act of creating the clothing that we wear? Are there certain ways to shop, certain brands, certain ways to be involved? What would you recommend for being the most conscientious consumer? So I think this is an issue that has come to the fore because of consumers. Vast majority of Americans, 69% of Americans said that they prefer products that are made in the United States. Now, we have a lot of brands that have already endorsed this bill. So you can be any type of thought leader in this space by how you spend your money and how you talk about what you wear as a projection of your values. And I think smart brands will pay attention to that. So what now that the bill was introduced in May and went to the House of Representatives in in July, like what's next? Where will we be by the end of this year? Well, we need Republicans who want to do this. And so there are not many fashion forward senators, maybe a handful. (laughs) But um, so that part of it might not be the hook. But maybe this issue of sustainability or this issue of human rights will be appealing to them. But we all can work harder at it and it's it will be fun. When's the last time you gave your permission to have a bigger shopping budget to get new clothes? (laughs) So this can be our wish list of what new clothes we want and how we're going to find sustainable designers. We just wanted to check back in with you and hear a little bit about what your reaction to the midterms were. Did they defy expectations? Was it all you hoped for and more? Well, we definitely defied expectations. What was so exciting about the midterms is in a normal year, the party in power should have lost 20 to 40 House seats and we would have lost the Senate. But because the grassroots was so dedicated to our values and our agenda, that they really worked hard. And we only lost a handful of seats in the House. And in the Senate, we held the majority and won an additional seat. I think it had a lot to do with the Dobbs decision. A lot of women were that incremental voter who was just outraged by how unexpected and how far-reaching this opinion was to not only upend Roe v. Wade, but to do it by declaring women of reproductive years do not have a right to privacy. Uh, Whereas some red states are now prosecuting a mom and a daughter who are talking on Facebook and parents who take a 10-year-old rape victim across state lines. I think the extremity of this Supreme Court decision uh, really led to a lot of women voting. And how do you think these results affect the next presidential election? Does it make it easier? Does it make it harder? I think it... Uh, will continue to engage voters in 2024. And I think that 
people still want to see common sense, bipartisan work getting done. And one thing that President Biden has done is passed more bipartisan pieces of legislation than any other president in modern history, including uh, my bipartisan gun trafficking bill, including the infrastructure bill that had a provision that I wrote to build local and hire local to get more local workers. It included uh, the bills to get the price of prescription drugs down, as well as investments in green energy. So there's such a wide-ranging agenda that President Biden got accomplished. I think if he can tell the country more about what he did and why and why this Congress worked effectively, we will have a better time of winning in 2024 as well. And you will be running again, I read, no? Yep, I'm running for Senate and I'm very excited about it. I've already started my re-election campaign. Fantastic. What's at the top of the docket when the Senate reconvenes in January? Yes. So in the new year, uh, we will continue our push for judges. Uh, That's something that's unique to the Senate. We get to approve all judges and making sure we have thoughtful, well-trained, highly qualified judges. Uh, If we... um, can work on a bipartisan basis. We can keep moving forward on is strengthening our healthcare system, strengthening our school system, uh, helping the economy grow, uh, making sure that all the programs we just passed come to fruition in grant programs. So making sure the money for infrastructure goes to good infrastructure projects in New York, making sure the money that we put forward for mental health gets spent properly, getting our not-for-profits who are doing violence disruption work to apply for that mental health money under the gun bill, to make sure we are training the next generation of healthcare workers. I put provisions in for a health force this year, and we need more people to apply for that money. So we have more community health workers in New York State. So a lot of it's implementing bills that have already been passed to make sure the money flows in the way it was supposed to flow. Um, The Fabric Act, I think we have a chance uh, as being one of the main bipartisan bills we can work on this year. I think it is something that is fundamentally common sense. And so I'm optimistic that we can find good bipartisan support. Wow. And will you tell us a little bit about uh, your New Year's resolutions? Hmm. I think I will be doing some cleansing, (laughs) lots of cleanses in the new year. I'll be cleansing, detoxifying, doing all those things. What does a cleansing regimen look like for you? So I need to do things like um, bone broth cleanses where you're Mm. getting lots of protein, um, really eliminating grains and dairy. And uh, what else do you eliminate? Alcohol. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's a tough one. This is very (laughs) detoxifying. So I'm going to try that. Um, I'm going to try to do it for a month. I'll see how it Mm -hmm. goes. So my January is going to be very dry. Is this something that you do every year or is it a new something that you're doing for the first time? You know, I've done it over many, many years, different times, and it always works. Uh, So I will be doing it again. Um, I also love uh, sports and working out. So, but I do that year round. I don't need to add that. I do Pilates two or three times a week. I started boxing. I just started it two weeks, three weeks ago doing it regularly. Um, I have a boxing lesson tomorrow morning at 7.15. So I'll be doing boxing and I will be doing, what else? Tennis. Tennis, I keep every, that's part of my state. Indoors in the winter? Indoors in the winter. Yep. So I'll be doing more tennis and keeping up with Pilates and adding in a little more boxing. Love that. Are you, do you and your sons do any sports together? Yes. So the boys both like tennis and they actually both like squash. And so I stopped playing squash during COVID because you're in a 
tiny box with somebody else. Yeah, that's true. So you're definitely going to get their COVID if they have it. Yeah. Um. So I didn't do it during COVID, but I think I'm going to start playing squash again in the new year. That'll be fun. That's that exciting. definitely gets your heart rate up. That is oh my God. And you're just, you sweat like crazy. So that yeah. is very detoxifying. And most important question is how did your son's shoes fare? Because he was very focused on keeping them clean in college. And you said you were very curious whether he was going to be able to do that. No, 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 he failed. Um, (laughs) He'll just get, he'll get some new ones, I think, is what will happen. Okay. Um, Santa might come in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. The boys are so funny. I don't know if you have a mindfulness routine, um, (laughs) because I imagine that keeping a cool head in the Senate must be important. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I need to get one of those. (laughs) I don't know what they really look like. Well, thank you so much and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy Happy New New Year Year to you both. Take care. Bye-bye. Between the two of them, Haley and Senator Gillibrand, I'm ready to go whole hog on Pilates. I know. What's your New Year's resolution? Um, Matter of fact. Great question. Well, I'm having a very wet January, I've decided. I'm not having dry January. I have two children under three, and I'm going to be having as much wine as I want because I am that cliche. Uh, So I will not be having bone broth like Senator Gillibrand, but I wish her well. (laughs) My resolutions are to cook more. Oh, that's good. I've just retreated into delivery mode in the last few months. You've got a lot on your plate. Uh, yeah. Shoma told me today that she res- <laughs> has 200,000 unread emails. <laughs> and if that stresses you out, well, welcome to my life. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I like seized with panic when I heard that. I know. Um, a lot of pe- I don't show my screen to a lot of people for that I feel reason. It's a very intimate thing that we've just shared with the group. <laughs> now I'm totally exposed. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Maybe that should be my resolution. Open one email a day. <laughs> Is that only going to take you, what, 10 years? <laughs> The Run-Through with Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate and review it. And we want to hear from you. <laughs> Send us a hello or any questions or thoughts you have about the show to the run-through at Vogue.com. I'm Chermanardi. And I'm Chloe Mao. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>